to turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. As we uh, always do here, we'll read uh, God's Word, uh, continue to work through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We'll read God's Word, we'll pray, and then we'll look through the Scripture uh, together. Luke chapter 20, verses 19 through 26. Hear God's word. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him, Jesus, at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, We know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. Let's pray. Great God, we bow before your presence now. We are so in awe of your power, your majesty, your righteousness, your love, and your holiness. God, you have indeed been so generous in giving good gifts to your children. And God, even now, we, we recognize the, the generosity of your presence, that you have allowed your people to enter into your presence. And God, when we enter into the holy presence of God, we are reminded of our sinfulness, of our need for forgiveness. So God, we confess our sins to you now, Father. Uh, we, we confess our lack of gratitude. God, we we confess how we often look at what we don't have rather than what you have given us. Father, forgive us for lack of trust and faith in you, God. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see how good you truly have been to us. So God, I pray that you would just correct our sin. We confess it to you now and we know you who are faithful and just will cleanse us from our sins and Prepare us to be a people who are righteous and holy. Dear God, we continue to pray for those in our community and our church family who are sick. Father, we lift up Fred Hope to you today. We pray that you would show him your grace and your kindness. And God, we also just pray for Judy Player. We thank you so much for sustaining her already, God. We pray that as she continues to recover, Father, that you would just be kind and gracious to her. We also pray for those who are sick among us, God. There are so many in our community. Father, I pray that you would just be with them, minister to them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we lift up the gospel this morning. We lift up the gospel being proclaimed all throughout our city. Specifically, pray for Pastor Mike Welch as he preaches over at Park Ridge Baptist Church. God, we pray that as he preaches your holy word, that that church would be formed into the likeness of Christ. That the people there would submit to your word. That they would see you as a holy, gracious, and powerful God. One who is their supreme authority. So God, we pray that that church would have power this morning through your Holy Spirit. And God, now as we open 
uh, your word together as a church family. God, I pray that you would just quiet our hearts. We pray that we um, would be receptive to your holy word. God, I pray for the people that you allow me to, to shepherd and pastor. I pray for their hearts, God. I pray that you would allow them to receive this word, God. Not being a word from man, but being a word from God. I pray that you would speak through your servant. I pray that I may decrease, that you may increase, that you would magnify your glory and your presence today for this hour, that the people here would be changed, that they'd be moved from one degree of glory to the next. Father, we are in need of you now. God, we need you. We need you to form our congregation in holiness, in unity, in love, Father. So I pray that today you would make our hearts abundantly thankful and grateful for you and for each other. So God, I pray as we open your word that you would just bless your people. Change us, Lord, for our good and for your glory's sake. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Uh, this coming week is by far one of my favorite weeks of the year. Uh, everything tends to slow down, and we focus on food, family, and football. Need I say more? Uh, it's right after a long, busy fall, and yet right before the busyness of the Christmas season. It's a week when we're, we're almost trained to slow down, uh, to stop and reflect on what we are thankful for in our lives. I love how, how Ted prayed that we should be thankful and to count the blessings that God has given us. Uh, because thankfulness, gratitude, can change your life. Gratefulness is one of the keys to, a, to true and lasting happiness. Gratitude helps us shift our focus off of what we don't have on to what we do have. I'll never forget living in Washington, D.C. in our little two-bedroom house. It was the first house Ellen and I bought. Um, the kitchen had only two feet, probably shorter than this pulpit of counter space. Uh, we had only two cabinets for all our dishes and no dishwasher. We, uh, the house was in a bad neighborhood. Our car was broken into several times. Uh, my mother-in-law's car was stolen in front of our house at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. That was a fun conversation. Uh, our house was broken into. The closets were so small that you could, couldn't even fit a whole person's wardrobe in there. Uh, and our bathroom was so tiny that when my wife was pregnant, uh, in order to use the restroom, she had to turn on her side, shuffle, get on her tippy toes, and lift her belly over the sink to be able to use the restroom. And when you're in that little house, you can tend to start complaining about all the things you don't have. Oh, I wish I had a dishwasher. Oh, I wish we had closets. Oh, I wish we had cupboard space. You know, my wife and I f had our fair share of complaints in that little house. Um, that was until we entered the apartment of Reggie and Victor uh, Acevedo. Uh, Rhett, uh, Victor was one of my students in my math class. Um, and I knew their family was kind of going through a rough financial season. Um, so I offered if I could get them a box of food for Thanksgiving. Uh, a local church I knew was giving out food boxes. So I, was, so I went and picked up a box of food and I was bringing it to their house. Um, and I'll just never forget what I saw that day. Um, walking into their one-bedroom house and seeing blankets and beds all over the floor. Uh, they had a one-bedroom apartment, and they had 10 people living in that house. Um, when I saw that, when I walked out the door, the Lord just convicted me of how ungrateful I was to see all that I didn't have rather than all that the Lord gave me. I came home to my two-little-bedroom apartment, and I had my own kitchen. 
I had my own bathroom. I had my own closet. I had two feet of counter space. Completely changed my perspective. Uh, Beloved, we have much to be grateful for. Gratitude, as I said, it helps us to see what we have rather than what we need. And if you truly take time this coming season to be grateful, it may just change your life. One of the things that we need to be grateful for is authority. Authority is a blessing and a gift. As we've said throughout the last, looking at this last chapter, Jesus came preaching and teaching to establish his authority on the earth. Now the leaders came, the scribes and the Pharisees, challenging his authority. Look in your Bibles at Luke chapter 20, verse 1. It says, one day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things. And who is it that gave you this authority? The people basically came up to Jesus and says, what gives you the right to say what you're saying? Who do you think you are? Now, the reason why I want to go back there is because all of chapter 20 is in light of that challenge. It's the, it's, Jesus is trying to, to share to, to people who are challenging his authority. You even see that right there at the beginning of chapter uh, 20, verse 19. Jesus just told the parable of the wicked tenants, which we looked at last week. In verse 19, it says, The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, to, to arrest him, to, to seize him, to, to destroy him. For they perceived that, that he had told this parable against them but they feared the people. So they realized that Jesus was going toe-to-toe with their challenge, saying, you want to challenge me? Let me come back and tell you these things. It's important to see that authority is really a central concept over the last several weeks and going into the weeks ahead. And really, who your authority is, who's the one that you put in charge of your life, is, is really a key idea in all of Scripture. You know, I think one could say that Um, Genesis 1 and 2 is God's creation of a perfect land. Genesis chapter 3, all the way to Revelation chapter 22, 22, the end of the Bible, is God's way of trying to correct our view of authority, to making sure that we see authority rightly. In the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, the serpent tempted Eve to challenge and distrust God's authority. So we read in Genesis chapter 3, The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes, and the tree was a desire to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband, some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. See, Satan tempted Eve to challenge God's authority. And Eve sinned against God, bringing distrust into authority, distrust of God's authority into this world. Satan hasn't changed. Satan still tries to get individuals in this world to doubt and distrust God's authority. And one of the ways we overcome our propensity to challenge God's authority is to be grateful for it, to be thankful that God is it such a God who tells us what to do? That's why I had Casey read Deuteronomy chapter 5, same 
Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. It is the, it is the epitome of God telling you, this is what you must do, and this is what you shall not do. So as we look through these, this text this morning, I really have two questions as we approach this Thanksgiving week. The first question is, are you grateful for authority? If you want to follow along in the bulletin provided for you, just slip on the back and you'll see the outline there on the screen too. Are you grateful for authority? The leaders um, continue to attack Jesus' authority by attempting to set a trap for him, uh, by offering him a lose-lose question. Look with me again at verses 20 to 22. So they watched him and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere that he might catch them in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality and truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now the goal of this whole questioning was to deliver him up. They wanted to capture him, deliver him over to the governor. Now if you would know that the Jews were living under Roman oppression uh, and the, the Romans forced them to pay taxes. What they wanted Jesus to do is to speak against Caesar, for speaking against Caesar would allow him to be arrested. So in their minds, it was a no-win situation. He was either going to upset Caesar or he was going to upset the Jews because he was going to affirm the Romans' right to tax them. So these spies, they approach Jesus with flattery. Um, Isn't that interesting how that works? Don't, don't you find that? I find that true in my own household that when my wife, I come in and my wife is very sweet and she says, sweetie, can I get you something? What do you want? <laughs> right? We hear when people compliment us, we, my wife doesn't flatter me because it's all true. But anyway, um, we, we get the idea. They come in with flattery. They affirm his fairness, the righteous teaching. They see how he they says that he teaches the, the true way of God. And they, and what they said was true, wasn't it? Jesus taught what was right and true. He taught the true way of God. He showed no partiality. But their hearts were not sincere. You know, we can all say the right words and still have our hearts be far from God. Do not be impressed with people's lofty words. These people would have appeared, would have appeared to be submitting to Jesus' teaching. But submission goes far beyond just verbal affirmation. This is where we have to check our own hearts. Are we submitting to Jesus' authority in our lives or merely giving the outward appearance that we are? See, the outward appearance of honoring God was the problem with the Pharisees and the scribes. Matthew 23, listen to Jesus' hard words. He says this to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. God wants more of you than a mere outward moral appearance of, of good, goodness. He wants you to be changed internally. He wants you to actually be grateful for his authority, to delight in his authority. And this is exactly why God sent Jesus Christ. You know, in the beginning, as I said, man and had a pure heart. They delighted in God's authority. 
They lived in the Garden of Eden under his loving rule. But when Adam and Eve took of that fruit and ate, they rejected God's authority, bringing sin into our world. So now, every human that is born has a natural bent to reject God's authority. And really a natural bent to reject all authority. Uh, You know as parents, what's, what's the first word your kids learn? No. Sweetie, come here. No. Who taught you that? Well, the, 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 the sin nature taught them no. We have that natural bent among us. We do not acknowledge God's authority in our lives or give thanks to him. But instead, we become futile in our thinking. Claiming to be wise, we become foolish. Our hearts are darkened. Titus chapter 3 says this. You know, although we claim to be wise, we've all become fools. Listen to what Paul says. It says, we ourselves, speaking of the apostles, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. See, Paul was saying himself and the rest of the apostles looked at themselves as once fools. We know from Psalm 14.1, it says, a fool says in his heart there is no God. When we say there is no God, it's not just a statement that of fact. What we're saying is that I choose not to submit to you as my God. And every single one of us here have lived a foolish life at one point where we have said, I don't have to answer to you, God. I'm going to do what I want to do. But if you notice what Paul says, Paul says that we were, we were once foolish but they've changed. So what happened? What makes them no longer fools? Well, he gives us the answer in Titus 3, 4 through 8. Great scripture. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but because of his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God sent Jesus Christ to be our Savior. He saved us according to his own mercy by dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our foolishness. We could not be righteous. We could not delight in God's authority. So God sent his Son to die, to send his Holy Spirit to change our hearts. After Jesus died, God raised him from the dead. And in the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead, he gave me and you hope for eternal life. That if we would repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we would be saved for all eternity. Really, one way to speak of repentance, that's, that's, that's how we become Christians. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, if you, if you hear anybody say, how do you become a Christian? They don't tell you repent and believe. They're probably not telling you the truth. Because the Bible says, if you want to be a believer in Christ, if you want to be saved, if you want to go to heaven when you perish, God says, repent and believe. Repentance means changing your mind. One way of saying it is to acknowledge and give thanks for God's authority over your life. That's what we're doing. We're saying, I'm no longer the boss. I'm no longer the king of my life. I'm going to live for him and him alone. So whatever God says, I'm going to do because he's my king. So are are you grateful? Are you grateful this morning for God's authority over your life? 
We show our gratefulness to God through repentance and faith. Our gratefulness is expressed through real, concrete actions given to God. The second question this morning is, are you giving unto authority? Are you giving unto authority? Jesus takes their question and he shifts the focus off of taxes and really broadens it uh, to who is in authority over everything. Look with me again at verse 22. Here's the question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now, when they asked that question, you could, have, you could have sensed that everyone around was going, what's he going to say? Like the, everyone kind of gets quiet. There's that response. What's going to happen? But Jesus, perceiving their craftiness, said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's. Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. They attempted to trap Jesus with their question, as they often did. But Jesus sees right through their questions, and he flips it back on them. He responds and reveals there's two sovereign authorities over their lives. And, I would say, over our lives. First, Jesus affirms the authority of the state. Jesus affirms the authority of the state. You know, we live in a world in which God has given the state, the government, authority to provide for its needs by collecting taxes. No one enjoys paying taxes. I don't. (laughs) One of the reasons why so many people are now moving to South Carolina is because it has great, uh, it's very favorable in, in regards to taxes. Now, we may not enjoy paying taxes, but they are necessary for the state to exercise its authority. One of the key passages when thinking about the government's role in society is is Romans chapter 13. Paul writes, Let every person, me and you, be subject to submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So hear this. The state exists because God allows it to exist. They're instituted by God. Now, one of the purposes of the state is to uh, use the sword, as Paul writes in, in Romans 13. But I think Peter says it well in, of the government in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Here's what Peter says. He says that the government should punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. The only way the state can fulfill its purpose to exercise authority in maintaining justice is to have people do the work of maintaining justice. As much as I do not like to pay taxes, I am grateful for the men and women of our police department who keep us safe. I'm grateful for the men and women who serve in our fire department, who who we can call when, when things go awry. You know, we may not love paying taxes. We may not love writing that check to Uncle Sam. But we should be grateful for what taxes provide for us. Now, that is not making a statement that we should be thankful for all taxes. We can have that conversation in terms of what the government should and should not, uh, what is morally right for them to tax. But we can see very clearly from the text that Jesus affirms that we have an obligation to serve the state. Render to Caesar's what is Caesar's. 
Now, we know, even this past week, is if you've read the paper, uh, there are going to be things that our government endorses that we must protest because it goes against God. But we do so with gentleness, following the examples of, of Christ. Now, we think about the authority of Jesus' day. Uh, Caesar, Nero, they were awful, harsh rulers. If they disagreed, many people were killed and slaughtered. But listen to what Peter says and how it connects to Christ. Write this scripture down, 1 Peter 2, 18 through 24. Let me read it. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good but, and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you sin? and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Listen to this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. One of my favorite scriptures. He committed no sin, neither deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued trusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. How we submit to our earthly authority is one way we display our faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in how you submit, it shows that the gospel is real and powerful because you're willing to endure suffering for the sake of Christ because it's exactly what Christ did for us. If Christ was willing to suffer for me, I am willing to suffer in opposition of the things that God hates. So God, Jesus Christ, affirms the state. Christians can live in any form of government. I believe a democratic republic like ours is the best form. But any form of government, God allows Christians to thrive under if they would follow him. The second thing I think that we see here, after affirming the authority of the state, Jesus establishes God as a higher authority. He is the, the supreme sovereign one. And I love how he does this. He asks for a denarius. And he says, whose likeness, whose inscription is on the coin? And they just said, obviously, it's Caesar's. And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But then he goes, but you give to God what is God's. Now, what is made in the likeness of God? Or who is made in the likeness of God? We are. You can give Caesar his respect. You can give Caesar his money. But God says, I want you. And I want all of you. Because all of you belongs to God because you were created in His image. He is our maker and our master. So therefore we offer to God our whole selves. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may 
By testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Everything we have and everything we do belongs to God. So, are you giving yourselves to God? Now, I don't want to make this passage formulaic and minimize the, the depth and the comprehensiveness of Jesus' statement. I was looking at this passage with a friend this week, and we, we, we said, well, how do we do that, <laughs> right? This is a deep passage. Jesus Christ wants everything. You know, in many ways, it's really just a, a full application of the, of the two greatest commandments in the entire scriptures. Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 31, Jesus said the most important commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these. Isn't that the Christian life? We're called to love God with all that we have. And then we are called to love others in the same way. Now, although I don't want to make it formulaic, I do want to say that I think there's three specific ways that we can kind of hold on to how we can give ourselves to God. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. First, our time. Every day, we make choices that display what we value. We spend time on the things that we value. So if you're a young person, no offense, you may value video games. You may spend time on video games. If you're older, you may spend time and value cooking or talking on the phone, encouraging, encouraging friends. You may value sharing the gospel. You may value God's people and spending time here in God's, uh, gathered as God's house. But we, we are called in the scriptures to make the best use of our time for the days are evil. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, Colossians 4, uh, 4, 4, 5, and 6. So can I just encourage you during this Thanksgiving week, ask people that you trust, who know you well, how am I doing with my time? What is my time communicating about my priorities? That's a scary question to ask. It really is, because we don't like people to tell us what to do. But honestly, beloved, we may need to change some of our priorities. Talent. God has given us all various gifts and talents, which are given primarily to build up the body of Christ. We see this in in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans chapter 12, that God gives each one a gift for the upbuilding of the body of Christ. So are you using your talents to build up others in the faith? I mean, God has given you gifts. Everyone here, I can look out and I can see gifts that God has given you. Are you using them? Are you pouring them out so that others can be built up in the faith? If you are not intentionally using what God has given you to encourage and and boost others up in Christ, you are not using your full talents, and therefore you are not giving yourselves fully unto God. So do not squander your gifts. Do not squander what God has given you. And do not squander the gifts that God has given to this church. Because when you don't use your gifts, we all suffer. Because the reason why God made a church is that God gave us gifts. So when people join this church, I say that, you know, I say to you, when you come to this church, I'm grateful that you're joining this church. But God, in his providence, believes that we are deficient without you. That we need your gifting to be a a more holy and 
righteous community of faith. So if you're not using your gifts to the glory of God, you are hurting me. You're hurting our children. You're hurting our dear, beloved saints. Use your gifts. Do not squander them. The last one is our treasure. All your money belongs to God. It's not fundamentally yours. We were looking at this in Sunday school, thinking about Israel and, and how this works in, in our day. You know, but are we really giving our treasure unto God? You know, we're trained in our society that if you get a salary increase, you should also increase your standard of living. I can now afford this size house. I can now afford this size car. But I think what God says, God may be increasing your income, not so that you can have a more comfort in your life, but that you can give more in your life. Wouldn't that be great? Is if God's people said, you know, I'm going to realize that this is what I'm going to live on, and when God increases my salary, I'm going to do everything I can to give more first before I add comfort to my own life. Now, we know comfort's not a bad thing, but it can be. Are we using our treasure for the building up of the Lord? How we handle our treasure reveals the values of our hearts. The Bible says you will treasure your hearts where your treasure is. So if you put your treasure into things that are not the Lord's, you are revealing your heart. Beloved, Jesus wants us to give all of ourselves to God. The challenge is the application of that commandment. You know, I, I was thinking about this this week. How do you live this out? I think the most fundamental way you live this out is you do this in a local church. You know, I've, I've been thinking about this church body a lot lately. And I'm just so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for your love and for your steadfastness to this community. So many of you are giving yourselves. You're giving yourselves to each other. You're giving your time. You're giving your talents. You're giving your treasures to each other. And you're not just doing it today, but you've done it for years. Because you love each other. This is what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul says, even if I'm being poured out, if I'm being spent for your sake, I am glad and rejoice. So if God takes my body and I have to lay it down for the people of Park Baptist Church, I rejoice. If God has to take my, my treasure and I have to lay it down for the people of Park Baptist Church, I rejoice. If I have to take my time and lay it down for the people of Park Baptist Church, I rejoice. Because that's exactly what my Savior did to me. Jesus Christ gave himself for you and for me that we could become a holy and righteous people, a people of his own possession. So what God is asking you to do is what God has already done for you in Christ. He has given himself for you. So can I just plead with you, this Thanksgiving season is that you render unto God the things that are God's. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for this church, how so many here are giving themselves, their time, their talent, and their treasures unto you and unto each other. Dear God, I pray that you would allow us to do that even more so. And God, I pray that you would always do that in light of what you have done for us, that you did not spare your own son, but you graciously gave him up for us. How will you not graciously give us all things. So dear God, I pray this Thanksgiving season that we would rejoice, that we would give thanks that your steadfast love endures forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.